Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Hunt for Wellness podcast with Michael Wilburn, 53 sideways it's another great day for wellness and this is bones bringing the packs of f3 nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom. And Pax, super excited to be back on the airways with you this week and to just share another healthy impact man's story. Uh, I learned about our special guest, as I often do, from another Pax member who just thought uh, this Pax had a lot to share, that his own personal journey would resonate with many of us, and really, more importantly, the life lessons that he's learned as a result Uh, going through some of these things uh, will really benefit us as an audience. So I'm excited to get going and started with our interview today. Now, before I jump into it, however, I do want to just let you guys know about a special gift that you can claim for absolutely free. Uh, If you are listeners to the COT podcast, I announced it on that this week. Just a field manual, I call it the Healthy Impact Man Field Manual, um, that I put together that hopefully will help uh, those of you who are interested to learn a little bit more about my personal strategies. I talk about exercise, I talk about diet, I talk about intermittent fasting, and of course I talk about sleep. And I just share some strategies, some of the things I do that I hope will serve those of you who are you know, interested in learning a little bit more about it. I try to give enough information to where it's easy to follow, uh, but not overly uh, uh, 
too much information where it's just a burden to get started. So uh, check that out. Uh, you can download your own free copy at www.healthyimpactman.com. Once again, that's www.healthyimpactman.com. And speaking of healthy impact men, uh, our guest is exactly that. And, and of course, I'm excited to get going with our interview. Our special guest today is none other than Michael Wilburn, otherwise known as Sideways in the Gloom. Welcome to the show, brother. All right. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. And um, thank you uh, for having me on. Um, it's a, it's a, both a privilege and an honor you know, to share my story and some of my journey. And uh, yeah, hopefully this can help some of, the, some of those other brothers out there in the gloom. Well, I, I guarantee it will. So <laughs> speaking of brothers in the gloom, why don't we start with some F3 Genesis here? Just kind of give us an idea of you know, how you learned about F3 little bit about that first workout, why the name Sideways, and of course, where you're currently posting at as far as region goes. Sure. Um, so my genesis into the F3 world uh, came actually from a neighbor. So, you know, I reach out from uh, just as we moved into our new neighborhood last uh, last fall, I guess, um, Chelms, uh, one of our, one of our one of our brothers here in the neighborhood just kind of came down and introduced himself to me while I was working in the yard. And we do a workout in the neighborhood, you know, like three days a week, basically. And we try to post at one of the F3 uh, workouts, you know, probably once or twice a week, depending on who it is and where they're located. Um, and then he, after a couple of workouts says, Hey, you should come, you should come and post up at one of the F3 workouts. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but it sounds fun. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we, we headed up to the hot box uh, that Snoop cues and uh, totally got my butt kicked. Uh, it was humbling and exhilarating all at the same time. And uh, I've been hooked, uh, hooked ever since. Yeah. And oh, so the name Sideways. Yeah. So my my name Sideways is a reference to uh, a movie. Uh, so when my wife and I moved here, we came over from St. Helena, California, which is up in Napa Valley. So it's a it's a Napa Valley Sideways uh, movie reference. That's how I got my name. <laughs> Well, I was, I was, if I had to guess, that's what I would have guessed, but I never want to presume anything when I'm talking to a PAX member and how they got their name, just because, you know, PAX can be pretty creative out there as far as once removed and this and that, as far as uh, getting that name. But I, I'm familiar with the movie Sideways, seen it myself many years ago. So now are you a wine connoisseur or just the fact that you came from that area? Well, I think I think to say I'm from that area is a little bit of an overstatement. So um, my wife and I have been a little bit nomadic in our lives. You know, we actually met in Atlanta. Um, we moved out to the, the to San Francisco about, I don't know, I guess about 16, 17 years ago. Um, and we sort of bugged out when COVID hit and ended up in St. Helena. So that's that's where I say I moved from. Um, am I a wine connoisseur? Uh, no, I, I mean, I like I like to drink wine as much as anyone else, um, you know, but am I a connoisseur? I don't think I would call myself that. I mean, being a connoisseur really just means drinking what you like and, and knowing why you're drinking it. That's really the that's really the crux of, you know, drinking good wine. So sure, I agree. <laughs> I think a lot of times people get caught up on pricing and and no. ratings and all this kind of stuff. But to each of us, we have our palates and I agree with you. So you mentioned moving from there and, and currently you're posting where? I'm, you, I'm, where? 
Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm posting uh, when I when as as regularly as I can at the hardcore workout, which is the hot box. So that's Charlotte Metro. I'm in the Charlotte Metro AO, um, and that's on Thursday mornings uh, in the gloom. And it's it's a great workout. It's a phenomenal workout. It it is 100% humbling and challenging for me. And I think it's worth mentioning. I still consider myself and am very much an FNG. Um, I have a lot to master <laughs> about. Uh, you know, the the workouts and F3 in general. So I will consider myself an FNG for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to get on the queue schedule. That's what kind of graduates you to that next level. Have you had a chance to queue yet? No, no, I have not. Uh, have not. We're, we're going to have to get on those boys at the hardcore, uh, specifically <laughs> Forge, if you're listening. Uh, let's get this guy on the queue source or queue schedule, get him out there out of his comfort zone so that he can develop into that male community leader that uh, F3 is designed to, to create. Well, sideways, Absolutely. man, it sounds like uh, you have a little bit of a background of uh, exercising and so forth. It sounds like you were exercising in the neighborhood outside of F3, which was kind of the catalyst to F3. Walk us back, kind of just historically speaking, high school, college, whatever. Were you always an athlete? Were there certain sports and activities that you were drawn towards? Give us a little context. Yeah, um, I think, well, just to, to, to sort of at the foundation um, and a little bit of, of background that I think helps get started is I am I am not a professional mountain biker. I'm not a professional athlete. In fact, as you, you know, your, your query of what I was like in high school and, and before that, I was pretty much a lousy athlete. Um, you know, um, I was terrible at baseball. Um, I was, I was too small and too slow uh, for football and basketball. I mean, forget about it. Like I, <laughs> there's just not a chance for me. Um, so I've never been what you would consider, um, an athlete. Um, you know, I, I, I was always drawn to riding, you know, bikes. I think even as a kid, most kids are, I think I just never stopped riding. Um, and even when I was very, very young, um, you know, I, I had a BMX bike as most of us did and, you know, I, I, I drew, I got a lot more pleasure out of taking my BMX bike on the trails. Um, I tried to try to ride around the roads and stuff in my neighborhood. And to me, that was kind of boring and dull. So I, I discovered even when I was pretty young before mountain biking was even a thing that I was, you know, in the woods and that's, that's where I've always been happiest. I've always been happiest out in nature and out in the woods. And you know, I think it's about discovering what, you know, what really drives you from a, um, you know, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish from a experience perspective. And I think the bike has kind of taken me, you know, uh, to very exciting places and um, has been a catalyst for me to to stay fit, you know, well into my, my now fifties. So that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. So not a, so did you, did you actually play sports in high school or no, just kind of oh, man, was I, always on the bike? I tried. I tried. I, I definitely gave it. I gave gave it a try. Um, I didn't. Okay. I I never really gave it any real attention. I mean, um, you know, uh, after getting beat up for a couple of years playing football, and you know, it was just like this is a waste of time. Like I'm, you know, I'm never. It's just it was just too much for me. It was just like just wasn't my thing. And I didn't have the competency for basketball, and didn't have the real, you know, competency really even for baseball. So it just wasn't it wasn't in my genes to play those kind of sports, you know. And I, I can't say that I was necessarily I wasn't cycling or riding a bike seriously, you know, in high school or anything. I mean, I def, I was, you know, that that sort of went by the wayside. It wasn't until um, actually I went to college. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the definition of the starving college student, you know, I paid my own way through college. So, 
Um, you know, I was starting to see these, you know, really nice mountain bikes, you know, showing up at school. This is like a long time ago, obviously. Um, but you know, these really nice, you know, treks and, and, and diamond bags and giants, which were big back then were starting to show up on campus. And I was just, I mean, I, I really wanted one of those so bad. So, um, when I graduated, um, college and moved to Atlanta, the, the very first big purchase I made was, you know, brand new mountain bike, um, that summer. And that's sort of kind of where this got started. I mean, it was a total junker. I was still pretty poor, you know, at the time I was still getting by paycheck to paycheck. Um, but I wanted a bike more than, you know, more than just about anything else. And, um, started, started just kind of, you know, after work heading up to the Chattahoochee, you know, in Atlanta and just kind of cruising around the Chattahoochee for a while. And, um, that ended up taking me even up to Pisgah and Nantahala in North Carolina. You know, I was getting pretty adventurous. Um, even back then I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just, I just would load up the car at, you know, 5, 5 a.m. on a, you know, on a Saturday and drive up to the North Carolina mountains and just spend a day mountain biking by myself. Um, and then, and that was kind of that first, I'd say a year. And that was around the time I discovered racing. I, I remember this, I remember this conversation like it was yesterday, this guy that I was mountain biking, just kind of, you know, a, a adjacent to on a trail you know, he kind of looked at me and said, Hey man, you should, you're, you're pretty good at this. You should race these. And I laughed at him and I said, people race these, you know, like I had no idea what, you know, I was wearing my, my tennis shoes and my umbro shorts and a white cotton t-shirt at the time. So I was just sort of, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but, but it did, it did spark my interest. And, um, you know, within a year I had, I, I raced my first race. I raced at the, uh, cactus cup in back in the day in Atlanta. So I, it was a cactus specialized cactus cup series. And I, I, I raced, uh, I raced in that cross country event. And then that kind of led me to, um, a team in Atlanta, um, that I raced on for about five years. Um, and, and, and you know, back then it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of structure. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I would go out and ride a lot. Um, and it wasn't until I got a road bike that I started to really work on my fitness and, I started really focusing on my nutrition, even in my mid twenties, um, you know, 23, 24, 25, you know, I was really paying attention to what I was eating and, um, uh, and, and you know, my weekends were spent, you know, riding the bike. So, um, you know, all my buddies from work were, you know, out in Buckhead partying and doing stuff. And I was, you know, I was working on my bike on Friday night, getting ready to go to the mountains the next day. So that's kind of where that journey kind of got started. Um, and I did that. I mean, and I, I had okay results. You know, I, I, the, the training wasn't very structured back then. Um, it was, you know, this was before power meters and wattage-based training and stuff like that. So it was always about, oh, you know, distance. And, you know, I was doing criteriums on Tuesday nights and all this stuff. And um, I was doing about, I think about at that point, about 12 to 15 uh, races a year. And they were all cross-country. And I had a couple of good results, but I was never really setting the woods on fire. Um, but it definitely sparked my or rather maintain the fire of, of cycling for me. But it also gave me this, this, um, let's say attraction to competition. You know, um, I, I really, uh, even to this day, you know, there's just something for me that's really special about, you know, you know, getting jocked up to go race, you know, and, and compete. And it's just, and, and it's just, you know, and I'm not like this super aggro guy, you know, like I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm, you know, the, the people who know me off the bike or off or out of racing would, would probably have a hard time, you know, understanding that, but, you know, on the bike, um, it's a very different, you know, kind of personality comes out in me. So yeah, 
that's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, obviously it sounds like, you know, you have a passion for it. And anytime we have a passion for something, you know, our true colors shine right through <laughs> uh, everything else. So uh, absolutely. So you keep referring to back then, what year are we talking about when you're getting out of college, start first start buying that first bike? Yeah, that was that was the summer of 1992. Okay, so back so, in the early 90s yeah. is kind of the, the time reference here. And, and you were mentioning as far as uh, the mountain biking culture, if you will, um, at least your knowledge wasn't very prevalent, certainly not like it maybe is today um, or as well known as it is today. But you just kind of had that affinity towards it. You just thought it was something that your escape, it sounds like, just to go out and enjoy nature and, and ride around and stuff. Now, were you you mentioned the one other gentleman who encouraged you to look at, quote, unquote, racing. Now, when you were out in Pisgah and Nanahela and all those other places, were you noticing the other people doing the biking or just were you out there like an island on your own? You know, um, you know, there, well, we could go down that rabbit hole a long way about the the island comment because you know, for the most part, um, mountain biking and cycling can be a very solitary solitary um, sort of experience, um, and, and I can maybe touch on that a little bit later. But um, uh, I noticed you know, the other guys, um, and I noticed that they were they were super fit and but i never really understood that you know there were there was this whole other subculture of competition that was going on and how how and i think at this point how it was starting to grow because you also have to remember that this is like pre-olympics in atlanta and 96 was the first time mountain biking was an olympic sport and and we all kind of knew this was coming so atlanta was actually at this point sort of a hotbed for mountain biking um, you know, there was, there were trails all around and we we're starting to see bigger and bigger groups of guys going out, you know, for weekend rides and stuff. So it sort of, it wasn't though, I guess it was very solitary until I joined the team. Um, and I started to train with the guys on the trip on the team and we started to go to races together and stuff. And that was, that was really where it started to, you know, move to have a little bit more of a community aspect to it. You know, I, I will say this though, in my throughout my my life as a as you know, as a quote unquote competitor in mountain biking, you know, the, the cross-country culture is very different from the sort of endurance culture. Um and I've noticed a, a, a marked difference between those two um throughout my years and even even fairly recently. I think that's got that's because you've got a lot of crossover between um, you know, the road bike community into into more of the um you know, cross-country racing. And, and I think that the, the endurance folks are just wired a little differently. Um, and it tends to be a little bit more of a tight-knit community, you know, on the endurance side. You, you, you tend to see the same people, the same races. Um, you trade dirt a lot, you know, with the same folks um, all around. And um, you get to know people and respect is, is you know, something that is definitely earned um, in the endurance community. And I just think that that level of respect and just knowing folks goes a little bit deeper versus in the cross country world. At least that's been my experience. That may not be so, for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So uh, help us out here. Kind of clarify the differences between endurance and cross country as far as what that looks like in an event or the type of people it attracts when you're when you're kind of making those comments. Sure. Um, well, uh, the people part, I'll do my best, but, um, 
you know, I, so you've got your typical cross country uh, race, which is, you know, usually around a, I don't know, a two hour cross country, you know, race. They take generally around two hours and you're on a loop. It's a fairly short loop and you got a bunch of people and everybody's super caffeinated and ready to go. And it's a, it's very aggro at the start because everybody knows it's all about the whole shot to the single track start. And, you know, it's basically a sprint um, and you sort of sit on the edge of vomiting for about, you know, about two and a half to three hours. Um, that's kind of cross country mountain biking. Um, it's usually super technical, um, not a ton of climbing, you know, maybe it, like it's more punchy. Um, but the courses tend to be, um, uh, you know, more geared towards, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, folks with, yeah, good handling skills, of course, super technical mountain biking skills, but also the ability to, to hit high power numbers, um, in short periods of time. So like super punchy climbs, you know, you got to get up to a thousand Watts, get over a hill and then basically, you know, get your heart rate back down and then do it again. And, you know, in a couple hundred meters, um, you know, whereas the endurance crowd, and, and this was sort of the progression for me. Um, and when, and I have to be careful here because there, there, there are lots of subgenres in cycling. You know, you've got, for me, it's, it's the 24 hour solo. Um, and that's, that's very different from say Leadville, which is a 100 mile race, you know, sort of point to point, right. Kind of stuff. And there's a lot of that. And then you've got your gravel community. Um, but in my world, um, 24 hour solo, um, you know, I, I, I guess the, the the I don't know what the people difference is. Um, I, I definitely think that um, a lot of the 24 hour and 24 hour solo crowd, they tend to grow out of the cross country mountain biking world, but are just looking for something else. Um, and they tend to be more, um, you know, the race is, a, a, you know, I mean, there's definitely competition, uh, but the race is always about yourself and what you can do in a 24 hour period of time so i think that's also something which kind of helps with that community because everyone knows that everyone's in it you know yeah you're in it to win it but you're also in it to prove to yourself that you can that you can you can cut it out and you can do it um, so i think that's a little bit of a difference for me and i made the jump um actually so after we moved to california um and and there's a reason for this because it, it sort of ties into your question which is you know i i uh, one of the reasons to moving to San Francisco was to, to get back into cycling, get back into mountain biking because Atlanta had gotten so big and just dangerous. You know, I'd been hit by a car and just all this, you know, it's just craziness. Um, and all the trails were getting developed over with subdivisions and stuff. Um, I, um, I'd signed up and raced at the Sea Otter Classic, which is a big, big spring race um, every year up there. And it, it essentially starts the pro mountain biking season. And so all the pros are there and they're all new equipment, all this stuff. And yeah, they, and, you know, and little plebes like me get to race. And I, I signed up and did it right after we moved there. And you know, it was 120 guys in my category. And it was just way, way too aggro. It was, you know, just, it was just, it was just insane. Um, and the racing quality was terrible. And I just, I just, you know, I, I finished the race and I, I, I told my wife, I said, yeah, I guess I'm done with this. You know, I'm done. I'm not going to, I'm not going to race mountain bikes anymore. And, and then I guess that <laughs> everything happens for a reason, because on the way out, um, there was a flyer on the car and it was, it was advertising, um, a 24 hour mountain bike race at the same venue in about, I guess, three or four months. Um, 
And I was like, whoa, what is that? You know, 24 hours. And, but there was an eight hour version of it. And I said, you know, I, I think I could do an eight hour, you know, I could give this a try. So a few months later, you know, we come back and, and that's where I got my first taste of sort of endurance, you know, you know, mountain bike racing. So it was a, it was an, yeah, my first, my first big race was a, was eight hours at Laguna Seca actually. So. Yeah. So got, got a taste of it. So how'd you do? And, and <laughs> obviously it obviously uh, spurred you to keep going. So give us, give us that story as far as getting yeah. into that, what was different about it for you you know, personally, and then just yeah. how, how it was a catalyst to keep moving forward to bigger and better things. While I was, while I was on the course, um, there was a 24 hour guy uh, that I caught on one of my laps and I started talking to him on one of the climbs and just kind of got into his head for a little bit. And uh, I remember that conversation because, um, you know, it, it just sort of gave me a glimpse into what, you know, what was sort of looming out there. Um, and it was a great conversation. Uh, we talked, you know, on one climb and I talked about his training and we talked about like, you know, what it takes to finish one of these races and all this good stuff. But, um, uh, for me, um, uh, you know, I, I, I somehow managed to squeak in a, a fourth place. I was like, I think 45 seconds off the podium, which was kind of shocking, uh, considering it was my first, uh, my first attempt at one of these. Um, I mean, I was pretty beat up. I got a lot of really bad advice, <laughs> um, for this race. So I, I was actually riding with some uh, 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 Ironman uh, guys in, in San Francisco, and they gave me the worst advice. I have nothing against triathletes. They just didn't give me the right advice. So I was like, at the end of the race, I was kind of hyponatremic. You know, I was, my stomach was bloated. I was blacking out in the car. And I, I was just like, oh, my God. My wife was like, you're never doing this again. You know, you're never doing this again. Um, and, um, you know, uh, 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 but of course, you know, I, 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 I was really hooked. It had a, it had a, um, it had an impact on me and I was like, you know, Hey, there's something to this. Um, I don't quite know what it was. Maybe it was the competition, but again, it's always inwardly focused. It was like, I can do better next time. You know, I can, I can go faster. I can go farther, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I, I bought a new bike. I bought a, you know, bought a, uh, 29er, bought a Gary Fisher 29er. Um, and started signing up for eight hour and 12 hour, uh, solo races. I never, I never raced in a team event. There were lots of team events. I never, I never really signed up for a team event. Um, um, I just wanted to, I guess the solo thing kind of stuck with me. Um, and I started, started training, um, and I was doing about, I guess at the peak, maybe five, five, eight and 12 hour races, um, a year. And that was all over, you know, like up and down the coast, like up to gold country and down to Southern California. And it just kind of kept us, kept us busy during the summers. Um, you know, my, my training by this point started to get more structured. Um, I was doing uh, wattage based and power based training at this point. Um, I joined a, a studio. Uh, there was a, a, a retired two-time Ironman winner. Uh, he ran a studio in San Francisco. His name is Michael McCormick. Um, and I went to his studio and started, you know, uh, doing wattage based training. So if you think like Peloton, but, but Peloton in, you know, in person, that was kind of what it was. And, and that was good. That was really good for me because it exposed me to, you know, the real endurance crowd, you know, like the real, you know, Ironman athletes. Um, and, um, I got to, got to, got a taste of how they, you know, operate really, um, behind the scenes. Um, and the training, you know, my training continued to get more structured. Um, 
And I started, I started doing pretty good. Um, you know, I started winning uh, 12 hour races. Um, the, the 12 hour is actually my sweet spot. Um, uh, I'm, I'm okay in the eight hour, but I tend to really shine in the, in the 12 hours. Um, and, and, you know, this one thing led to another. Um, and I was like, I was always like, oh, I'm never doing a 24 hour race. I'm never, I'm never going to do that. You know? <laughs> and uh, I kept assuring my wife, I'm never going to do that. And lo and behold, um, you know, I guess around 2011, um, I, I, I signed up for my first 24 hour solo race. Um, and, um, you know, I think for, for anyone who doesn't know, and I will, I'll plagiarize a bit of what a gentleman by the name of Brett Bellchambers said, the way he described the 24 hour solo in a video he did about 10 years ago. Um, and Brett's a, a phenomenal human being. Um, he's a multi uh, world champion. And he just, the, the way the, the 24 hour solo is, is a timed mountain bike event. Um, it starts at noon on a Saturday and it finishes at noon on a Sunday and, and whoever does the most laps or travels the farthest distance is the winner. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. Um, and it's, a, it's kind of a lot to consume. It's a lot to think about. Um, but from a physical endurance perspective, you know, it's, it's definitely one of the most challenging you know, things you can do out there. I think describing 24-hour solo mountain bike racing to people has, has always been a bit of a challenge. In fact, I actually, I worked with people for a long time and they never had a clue that I did this because it's just so hard to kind of explain, um, you know, um, and it's just like, I don't understand, you know, when do you sleep? I'm like, well, you, you don't sleep. And they're like, well, when do you eat? Well, you, you eat while you're racing, you eat on the bike. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just sort of hard to, hard to kind of put together. And when I, when I, when I think about what I've learned over the, you know, the years of racing, um, you know, I, I, and there's a lot we can talk about. There's nutrition, um, you know, there's, there's training, um, and the, but then there's the mental sort of mindset or the mental framework that, that I've sort of developed, which I think has segued nicely into the F3 community for me, from that perspective. Um, and I was hoping I could talk a little bit about that mental framework that I developed to kind of get through these. Because no, I, mean, like most, I think that's exactly yeah. where we need to go. I mean, that was the first thing that was coming through my mind when you were explaining all those things. I mean, obviously learning some health strategies around the nutrition and the training is interesting. And not to say that we shouldn't touch on those, but I think ultimately it is that mental capability or that mental flex that you're doing to persevere through these things. And, and certainly I've, I'm not a biker. I've, I've, ridden a bike very seldomly. In fact, um, about a year ago, I had some, I wouldn't call it a, a, a crazy injury, but I was having some foot pain in, in one of my, in my feet. And I was training for a race and I needed to rest it, but keep up some endurance. And so I actually switched to a stationary bike during some of that. And that was a lot harder than I expected. I mean, it is a completely different muscle group and endurance capability. And, you know, here I was considering myself pretty fit in, in a lot of areas, but uh, getting on that bike was a whole different animal. And, and so I definitely have respect for those individuals that can get on a bike and, and, and do anything for, for a long period of time. And I've done some endurance runs where, you know, you have some sleep deprivation and you're running for 24 hours, or I've done some rucking events where you're out you know, 24 hours and, and, and so forth. And, and, and it's the mental flex 
that you have to have to get through it more than anything, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think absolutely what's valuable here is to kind of learn some of those mental lessons that you had, because I think that's what's going to be most applicable to, to a lot of our listeners who are maybe training for a GTE or training for a long endurance relay race or the next CSOP or whatever that might be that comes up into their own health and wellness, you know, paradigm to get through it. So, man, I'll just kick it back to you and, and let you kind of grow, go with that. Sure. Sure. Um, so, um, a lot of this, uh, and by the way, this is, this is, you know, the, the sideways version of mental framework. So I'm sure there's a lot of other ways to, to, to skin this cat, but, um, what I developed over the course of my, like, especially uh, this started with the eight hour and the 12 hour stuff, but so it kind of started to, uh, coagulate before, uh, the 24 hour stuff started, but it really wasn't until I got into the 24 hour racing that, um, I, I was able to sort of put this together. Um, and it, 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 um, it, it's got three sort of pillars. Um, and the, the first, um, and, and, and each one of these pillars supports, um, one particular sort of period of time during a race. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But the first pillar is, you know, the minute you hit that buy button on the website and you register for that race, you know, your mindset has to automatically shift to one very, very clear thought, which is I will not quit. Um, I, I will finish. Um, I will not stop. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to stop moving no matter how tired I get, uh, no matter how beat up I am, uh, no matter how cold it is. I am not going to quit. Um, if I'm going to put in six months of training for a race, um, I'm going to race an honest 24 hour event, regardless of, of how I finish or how it turns out. And this is sort of my contract with myself that, <clears throat> you know, that if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do it. Um, and, you know, a lot of guys, uh, you know, and I, I even met guys who'd been doing you know, racing 24 hour races for a long time. They're you know, they're all at the race. They're all smoking and joking, right? You know, they're like, if I get tired, I'll just stop. I'll go grab some dinner. I'll go sit by the fire, warm up. And it's like, no, you know, if I'm going to invest this time, if I'm going to invest this energy, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to drag my wife out to the middle of the Sonoran Desert, you know, in February, I'm going to finish this race and I will not quit. Um, and there have been times when I wanted to quit. There have been a lot of, a lot of moments of doubt and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but that's kind of where you got to start. Um, with these types of events. I mean, you need to remind yourself that from the day you hit that buy button until the start gun goes off, you know, even if that's six months later. And yeah, I mean, that's such an important thing. point. Yeah. I mean, and, and as you were sharing that, I, I, I resonate with that a hundred percent because I could, you, you can hear it in, in guys' voices and how they speak around events, whether or not they're going to, most likely be successful. And anytime I hear someone talking about, you know, I hope I finish or I hope I make it to the end right then you've already, in my opinion, essentially set yourself up for failure because you've already allowed yourself in your mind and an out an excuse to quit before, because we all know we're all going to come to that moment where we all want to quit. I mean, there's never an event I've been part of that at some point, no matter how much I've trained, no matter how ready, quote unquote, I am, there's always a moment when you're like, I just don't want to do it anymore. And unless I've had that mental contract with myself, like you just mentioned, it's very difficult to push through it. Not that say you can't, 
But right. that for me, I agree with you 100%. It's all about that commitment to yourself. I remember watching, uh, and many of our listeners will be familiar with the selection process and in, in, in GORUCK when they do these, you know, multiple day, you know, basically last man standing scenario type of situation. And I remember watching a few years ago and as the guys were going through it, you kind of knew at some point who was going to make it and who was not going to make it just by the way they were answering the questions from the cadre. You know, one guy, you know, they were asking what's, you know, basically what's the percentage of you finishing? And he said 110%. And the other guys was like, well, I'm 80. Well, I mean, you've already failed. You know, once you've you've given that 80% answer, they're yeah. going to, they're going to find that 20% to make you fail. That's right. uh, so anyway, that, that's just, it's powerful. And I'm glad that you started with that because you're absolutely right. When you sign up for it, that's the first opportunity to, to flex that mental muscle. So, I mean, I, I'm at a hundred percent agreeance. Yeah. And, um, and that, that builds to sort of the second, I guess my second sort of pillar um, which is, so a 24 hour, I mean, anything, and I'm, I keep using this 24 hour solo reference because that's what I've got. But in my world, it's, it's hard, it's, it's hard to, to mentally consume a 24 hour effort when you're standing at the start line, if you're not, if you're not ready for what's in front of you. So, um, and you can't, uh, what, what worked for me was I stopped thinking of it as a 24 hour race. And I started thinking of it as three, eight hour races back to back. And I would plan. So each of those races, each each of those three hour races has its own set of goals. Um, I've got my own pacing. It's got its own nutritional aspects to it. Um, and even within those goals, it's got each of those three hour races has its own set of micro goals. So um, I know, it, and I know this is, I'm getting, I'm nerding out here a little bit, but you know, this, there's, this is all for a reason because, and then I'll, again, I'll get to it in a second, but the first eight hour race, um, <clears throat> and by the way, so when I show up, I show up at a race, you know, uh, you know, this gets to this, you know, I will not quit thing, but it's also about preparation, which is my bike is clean. My shoes are clean. My Jersey is clean. My pit is clean. You know, I, I mean, everything is ready to go. Everything is race ready. Um, I don't, I don't have any mental clutter when I start. So I know where everything is. Um, and my wife runs the pits and, you know, that's her domain, but, um, everything is, is ready for this, for this first eight hour race, essentially. Right. And, um, the first eight hours is to me, it's, it's the goal is I will not put a foot down for the first eight hours, right? I'm going to pedal and I'm going to race for the first eight hours straight through. And that usually means until the lights have to come on the bike, which is, you know, give or take, Um, you know, and, and I'm going to punish you like the first eight hours, I'm going to punish you. I'm there to punish the unprepared, you know, in the first eight hours and I'm going to race, you know, flat out. And it, you know, it's about nutrition and timing and all that stuff and nutrient timing and all that stuff. And that's, that's all well and done, but that first eight hours is critical because that is where you sort of establish yourself um, in the, in the, in the race. And you sort of see what everybody's made of. Um, And, you know, there's this thing called cardiac drift, which if you know anything about it, if you don't, that's fine too. But, you know, basically everybody gets tired at the same rate after about six hours. Um, no matter what your fitness level is, the difference is, are you higher up on the, you know, on the curve than someone else when you start? So at, at six hours, everybody's slowing down anyway. Um, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going, I'm going flat out. So that, that first pit stop um, is, you know, around 
like I said, six to eight hours, depending on when the sun sets. And that's where you know, this is a substantial uh, transition. So it's lights come on, uh, you know, cooler weather clothes come on, especially in California or if you're in Arizona or somewhere, you know, the, you know when that sun sets, the cool, cool air starts to come in. Um, usually have a quick bite to eat. And then the next race begin, which for me is exciting. I love the night. So I love racing at night. I love it when the lights come on. It's like a new, it's like a new race for me. Um, and the, the goals around the second race tend to be a bit more, um, it's restorative, right? This is your, this is your time to try to eat more calories. Um, it's your time to try to put back, uh, anything that you just kind of get, didn't get down for the first eight hours. Um, and, but you're still racing, you're racing pretty hard. Um, and you want to sort of make sure you don't drop off the pace during this time. So the goals I tend to set are more around predictable laps for these, for the second eight hours. So it's just about being predictable. So I'm not full on the gas, but I'm just trying to be predictable. Um, and that's, that's, that's also just as it starts to get sort of into those late night, late night parts of the race, that's where this sort of third, um, uh, segment of the race kind of comes into play. And what I believe is the most important um, part of the race. So I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to overpower people. You know, I'm not a power rider. I'm a light rider. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not super, super strong in the sprints. I'm not going to, I'm not going to crush you, you know, on the short hills. Um, I, I'll put a dent in you on the long hills, um, but I'm going to beat you in, in that 15 to 18 hour mark. Right. So that's where I'm going to beat you somewhere between 14, 15, 16, 17 hours. That's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to beat you. Um, and that's my goal um, because there's this period of time and I call it the witching hour, uh, which is usually from about 3 a.m. To, to sunrise. And, and um, that is where your circadian rhythm is at its lowest. People really start to get tired. You know, the race is quiet. Um, you know, everybody's gone to bed. It's just you and the, the, the guys that are out there on the course um, and everybody's really spread out. So, you know, your head starts to go into really weird places. And this is where that mental discipline really gets challenged um, because, you know, there's this there's this time period where everything starts to rush in on you. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing out here? You know, you know, I, I had this I had this complete like moment in the middle of the Sonoran Desert at like four in the morning. And I'm just like, what am I doing out here? You know, my, my wife is out here. It's freezing cold. You know what, what we could be, we could be in Hawaii right now. Um, and, you know, and that's just where you've kind of got to redouble because, you know, that's, it's like, look, you know, I made this investment in time. I made this investment in training. And if I don't finish, if I don't continue to to push it, then I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing everything I need to do for me. And also for the people that have supported me to get to this point. Right. So I can't let those folks down either. And that's that sort of leads to that that last eight hours of the race, which is uh, starts to become. I would say you're not really racing at this point. You're just trying to not make a mistake, and it becomes a contest of of who can keep going um, and basically not not screw up. You know, when the sun comes up, it's a totally different experience. Your circadian rhythm picks back up. You know, the sunshine hits you, and that's I usually pick up a couple of. Uh, I start to turn faster laps, you know, for that first part of the morning. So that's really exciting. Um, and then you know that you've made it. Like basically when you get to sunrise, you know that you can you can keep it together until finish. But um, that's that's kind of my three pillars. Or I'm sorry, the three the three ways I break up a race. And then, then I'll, I'll get to that third pillar in just a second. But yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's super interesting that you kind of spelled it out like that. And just as I was listening to your explanation, I was really resonating across the board with that. Now, again, not never done a 24 hour bike race, but uh, I, I can certainly relate from a 24 hour racing perspective when I've been on these different relay teams and the most recent this past uh, fall, I was on a six person Blue Ridge relay team. And, you know, although I didn't run the entire time, we were on course, you know, over 24 hours and you're rarely resting between your next leg. And, and to the, to your point, we all hit that bewitching hour and it's always in the, you know, 3 AM to 6 AM before the sun comes up. When you, you ask yourself, what the heck am I doing out here? I'm such an idiot. This is the last thing I'm ever going to ever do again in my life. Uh, you're, you're hating life. You're wondering what demon possessed you to sign up for this thing. And, uh, you know, we've all, we've all hit that. And I'm sure anyone that's listened to this, uh, uh, you know, show can relate to that if they've ever been in that scenario. And then you get that resurgence of energy with that sunrise. And, you know, I teach a lot on stress and sleep and circadian rhythm. So I, 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 I resonate with it just from a medical standpoint too, as far as physiology, what's actually going on. And, and absolutely, man, I can, I can completely see how that could give you that next bump of going, but, uh, you know, it also shows that we're so much more capable than our mental capacity wants us to believe at, at moments. Because just to your point, you went from, why am I out here? I'm an idiot to then going faster and having better laps later in the race than you were earlier in the race. And it just shows that it was always there. It's yeah. just the frame of mind and the sunlight and the different things that can affect us physi you know, physiologically. So yeah, I think that's super interesting that you break it down and super smart. I mean, because you're right. I think a lot of times we look at these big audacious goals as start to finish versus what we have to do to get to the finish and how do we break it down into tangible steps. And, you know, in my line of work, when I coach people to health and wellness, you know, if they want to lose 100 pounds, we don't talk about the 100 pounds. We right. talk about what they're going to do in the next two weeks to start moving their health in the right direction. And then in two weeks, we talk about what's the next step for the next two weeks. And you keep moving forward and it's all about consistency. And I yeah. think that's what I heard in your voice too. It's, it's not messing up because you're consistent. And that's when you're making the biggest leaps and bounds over people is the consistency that you have, not that you're more powerful, not that you're faster, oh. not nope. that you're more skilled, but the consistency and the mindset to not quit is what eventually helps you rise to that, to that top. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, if guys just remember that in any endeavor, whether it's physical work, family, relational, whatever it could be, just consistency is king when it comes to accomplishing your goals. Yeah, no, no question about it. Um, and, you know, so that the, uh, the third, I guess, the third pillar of my sort of race prep from a mental framework perspective is, um, you know, I, I've, this is going to sound kind of crazy, um, but I visualize myself, you know, on the podium every, you know, like I, I will meditate on me being on the podium before the race, you know, even like a week or two before the race, I'll start to imagine myself. Um, and sometimes, you know, uh, and and by the way, 99% of the time, you know, it's like, you're not going to win, right? You're, you're just trying to finish, but, um, but it's, but it's, I think it's about, 
if if I don't if I'm not in it to win it, then you know what am I what am I doing right? Um, and um, so I I you know I, I I always try to imagine myself somehow you know winning that race. Uh, it paid off once. I have won uh, one 24 hours. So um, I actually won uh, U.S. Nationals uh, a while back. So I was U.S. National champion in my category for like three months. I think. <laughs> I'm sure no one saw it or heard of it. it. It was in the middle of the woods in Oregon, and uh, you know, I'm sure ESPN did not cover it. But um, but it was you know, but it was a it was a big accomplishment for me at the time, and it just it's sort of you know all that hard work and uh, the sacrifice and training and just the preparation. You know, I think it all came together um, for at a very challenging you know event, and I was I was super grateful to, to come across that finish line against some good competitors, but. You know, I think I think that's that's kind of the. I mean, there's a lot of subtlety in there, but that's kind of the way I start to to break up these races. Um, but I also don't want folks to get the wrong impression about me because there's there's kind of two Michaels in this in this story, right? There's there's the Michael outside of the racing, which everybody knows, and people that have ridden with me, you know, they'll, they're they're I think they've left less than impressed with my mountain biking prowess, and it's just because this is just for fun. We're just hanging out, right? Um, I don't chase rabbits, you know, I don't chase people. I don't, I don't get too serious on the bike when I'm just playing around, but then there's competition, Michael. Um, and that's a very, that's a very different sort of version of me. And a lot of people have never met that version of me. Um, and, and it's just, you know, it's just a different sort of side of me, which is, which is you know, kind of bizarre, but, you know, all of this is well and good, but I just come back to one point, which is you know, ultimately it's, it's how do I feel about myself when I finish that race? So, you know, um, uh, I, uh, you know, if, if I finish 15th, um, but I feel like I had a great race, then I'm happy. Right. Then I'm, 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 I'm having a great day. So it's not about the finish, you know, you're not winning any money. It's just about how do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your effort? You know, and, and did you, did you really, you know, really try to not leave anything else out on the course? Because the one thing that is consistent is no matter how these races finish, you know, I mean, yeah, your point earlier, like the first thing I say is I'm never doing this again. That's the first thing that comes out of my mouth. Um, although two days after every race, I'm looking for the next race. Um, but but it's really, you know, it's it's really about just kind of, you know, did I try as hard as I could really try this time? You know, and did I go as hard as I could go? And, you know, most of the time there's still more in the tank, but you try to do the best you can. So, yeah. That's it. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, all good stuff. And I, I'm glad you brought up the point about visualiz visualization and really kind of putting it out there in the mind. I think that is a skill that's underutilized and underdeveloped because I think we think about accomplishing things with our actions and doing things and don't realize how powerful the mind is. And when we kind of see it, before we achieve it, it, it really is. There is something to that and not to get too woo-woo-y on the sure. show here today, but I'm a true believer in, in all that mindset practicing and meditation and so forth. In fact, even had a show around meditation uh, previously. And so I'm a big fan because I, I don't think if you don't truly believe it and you don't truly see you doing something, the likelihood of you actually achieving it is pretty slim. Not that you can't, don't get me wrong. I mean, right. people accomplish things all the time that they quote unquote, never thought they would ever do. But at the same time, I think there's many things that 
especially high achievers that repetitively do things high achieving, it's part of their preparation is that mental preparation of, of, of expectation and, and, and crossing that finish line and, and achieving that goal. And, and even if you're not quote unquote first place, you, to your point, you've already made that mental note and you've already visualized crossing the finish line. In other words, no matter what, you're going you're gonna to have that act and, and, and cross through it, which I'm sure gets you through it. And just, you know, when I talk to guys about posting in the gloom, I tell yeah. them all the time, I said, if you're waiting to decide if you're going to post in the gloom at four o'clock in the morning when your alarm goes off, chances are you're never going to get out of bed and do it. You have to, the night before, already yeah. make that mental commitment that I'm getting up, maybe even tell somebody, put out the clothes, visualize yourself <laughs> getting up and doing all that because no one wants to get up at 4 a.m., not, not when the actual alarm is going off. I mean, you, you're just, oh, gosh, I want to go back to bed. But it's because of those mental, you know, I get out of bed every morning because I've already told myself that that's what I do. You know, I, I tell myself, I don't care how I feel. I am somebody who gets up at 4 a.m. because this is important to me and I'm going to do this. And right. I think it's only when we, in any aspect of our life, own that reality have that self-talk and mental, you know, visualization that just helps us be a catalyst. Now, am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I have days when I hit the fart sack button? Sure. I mean, that's just life in yep. general, but for the most part, yep. because of that self-talk, because of that commitment I've made to myself already, likelihood of me getting actually out of bed and falling through with it is very high because I've already mentally made that, you know, decision. Powerful stuff. Yeah, no question. Um, and I think for me, um, making the sort of as I as I make this transition, because I'm I'm basically you know, I'm retired, <laughs> quote unquote retired right now um, from the 24 hour world. But you know, as I transition into this uh, this the world of F3, um, you know, it's been a, a humbling experience, right? Because I've gone from becoming I've gone from being this, you know, sort of you know, I'm super competent, super confident, um, you know, I know what I'm doing. I can go out and just do it without thinking, you know, this un unconscious knowledge to now I'm doing something, you know, completely different, brand new, um, which is completely alien to me. And it's an, it's, it's a good feeling. Uh, it's nice to, to be challenged again, because, um, you know, the, 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 the 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 workouts and the and just I, I think just being around the guys has also um just been a life-changing sort of um thing for me and um you know as i as i start to think about my mental framework for these workouts you know it's for me it's it's i go back to my basics which is i'm focusing on you know marginal gains it's like you know okay i didn't do exactly eight reps of this thing but did i do six of them as best as i could right um you know and and it's always for me it's always try to make the next you know the next rep better than this one you know try to try to focus on my form you know for the next exercise as best i can um so i'm still in the process of of learning um and as i said i'm i'm a raging fng uh but i'm, I'm you know i'll get there i'll get there in time <laughs> so i hope so <laughs> well like we talked about already the the key to success is consistency yeah. right uh, i mean i think we had a previous guest just talk about 
you know, it's only failure when you fail to get back up and try again. I mean, it's just, that, that's just reality. And if we stick with it, you're going to achieve those goals. So what's on the horizon for you now? I mean, obviously these 24 hour races, uh, I'm assuming you don't have one coming down the pipeline that you're signed up for based on <laughs> your recent comment. What, what do you have out in front of you as kind of that dangling carrot to, to, to push your limits? Right. Um, well, so I, you know, um, I, I always like to think even at my age, I've got one more race in the tank, you know, for me somewhere one day. So maybe one day out there, there's another race. Um, I never got to race in Europe. Um, you know, that still may be a possibility if things continue to go in a positive way, but we'll see. I'm not really planning for it. I'm not training for it. Um, I would say like on the horizon, you know, I'm definitely looking for, um, a way to, parlay my endurance knowledge and into some type of a, you know, an, uh, an F3 event, you know, I'm looking at trying to, I, I need to work on different parts of my body though, to do that, the, the anatomical adaptation for, you know, and, and I was, I mean, I was rucking and I was doing sandbag workouts and stuff, you know, before we left California, but, um, just the volume, you know, and my age, it makes it a little bit harder for me to, to recover, but I, I'm still working on anatomical adaptation for rucking and for lifting stuff so that perhaps one day I can do, you know, uh, maybe a 24 hour ruck or, or something that's a little bit more endurance, uh, focused. I'm still, I'm still looking for, still looking for the night. So I love the gloom. I know it sounds crazy, but you know, I, I've always been, a, I'm always been a child of the night. So for me, I love it. I love being out there. Um, and I'm looking for something, you know, that's going to hopefully pop up on the radar that matches my ability to prepare for it at some point this year. That's my goal. Yeah. Well, there's an absolutely a staggering uh, slate of GTEs coming up this year. So there's well, no reason you can't <laughs> jump on that. Quite, quite a few of them are regionally to hear the Charlotte Metro region. So, so you know, shouldn't be a, a, a logistic issue as far as getting you and your gear there. Um, I am, uh, I am looking at personally the, the one down in Savannah in the, nice. in the fall. So, um, you know, if you want to go ahead and hard commit to that today, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put you, I'll put you on my team and, uh, we'll hold you accountable to, to training for that. I think, I think you'll do much better than you think. I mean, the fact that you, mentally a has pushed yourself through that. I mean, cause like we've said already, 90% of it's mental toughness. I mean, the physical yeah. component of it, uh, you just showing up in the gloom on a consistent basis will get you most of the way there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some specifics to training, but you just showing up and, and, and training like you're doing already is probably giving you a good leg up on what you need the other half of it really is that mental capacity, which we both know that you're capable of doing. So I think, I think that one's a good one to shoot for. Of course you can shoot, choose anyone. Yeah. I'm just putting that out there because it gives you a little runway. Yeah. I need to, I, I definitely need to build some confidence in a couple of uh, areas right now. I'll be honest with you. I, I have not established my mental framework for that, but I'll, I don't even know what a GTE is. So, uh, Oh gosh, even, I don't even know what you're talking about. So maybe. That's oh, a, no. Yeah. oh no. Yeah. So we got to come well, back so, around to so, that. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> and you may know what it is and not realize, you know what it is. It's, <laughs> it's the F3 version of go rock events to uh, where we're rocking certain amount of miles we call it a, a go rock training event or a grow rock training event now so gd gte is what it stands for but 
it's a whole weekend. I mean, there's, there's education aspect about leadership and development, but really it culminate, uh, culminates to the Ruck event, which typically launches in the evening time, five, six o'clock. You ruck all night till the following morning. So it's right up your alley. You'll be outside all night long, walking right around with a with hundred other great guys, you know, walking around with your rucksack, doing some team exercises. Um, I think you would love it. it. Sounds like it'd be right up your alley and, and sounds really good. Drive at it. I think it sounds really good. Yeah. Let's uh, I'll check with some details and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, would, I would love to do that. I would love to do that. Yeah. Well, perfect. We'll go into hardcore. I mean, that's a good training. That's a good training ground for that. You guys are already slinging around gear and, and, and sandbags and stuff like that. So uh, you'd be, right. you'd be ready for it, man. I, I think right so. Right on. Well, brother, well, man, we could, we could probably dive in. Do you have something else that you wanted to yeah. share real quick? Yeah. Just before, I mean, I, I just want to like close out on one thing, um, which sure. is, you know, we just to kind of go, just to kind of, I guess, put a pin in the 24 hour solo thing. I just want to say, you know, the, the, the race is called, or the, the category is called and this, and this, there, there's a, there's a moment here that, that you need to, you know, sort of take and, you know, you know, um, appreciate the people around you, which is, um, uh, you know, the, the category is 24 hour solo, but there's no such thing as a 24 hour solo race. Um, you know, uh, you're somewhere along the way, someone has helped you, someone is helping you. Um, and you know, you need to help somebody else. Um, and you know, I, I owe a debt of gratitude to quite a few people, um, you know, specifically my wife who ran my pits, you know, for all these races and did a tremendous job. Um, you know, but also, um, I had a coach out in Reno, his name is Kurt Bickle. I call him the, I call him the wolf of Reno, even though he doesn't know that, but, uh, he's a phenomenal coach and endurance coach. Um, but yeah, just, just, you know, remember those people around you, um, you know, and your pot, your mental attitude about what you're doing also spills over into them. Um, and it's just something to keep in mind as you, as you, as you go through life and go through these difficult, you know, endurance related events that you're challenging yourself, but you're, you're also affecting people around you in ways that you may not see and be, be thankful for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, that's well said. And, you know, I, I don't know of anyone that's ever done anything that's of significance that did it completely by themselves. I mean, I think, to your right. point, having that support structure, whether it's live and in person on the event itself or just leading up to the event and, and what they were able to do to help you kind of keep training and keep honest with what you're doing and so forth. So, yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, reminder for us all to, to remember that and and that none of us really achieve our best all by ourselves. You know, I'm a big proponent of coaching and guidance and having that, you know, uh, accountability. I mean, that's just what keeps us, you know, moving forward and, and achieving those, that next level of what we can achieve. So uh, good words, man. Well, um, I do have a couple final questions to kind of wrap things up here sideways. The first one is this, you've already dispelled, you know, helped us with a lot of good information so far, but if you had three tips that you could share with another man uh, to get them on their own hunt for wellness, what would those three tips be? 
You know, I think one of the one of the first um, things that worked for me is just being honest with yourself about what it is that you're trying to accomplish, and most importantly, why. Um, you know, I didn't start racing mountain bikes to get physically fit necessarily. I started it because I enjoyed it, and it was it gave me a tremendous sense of of pleasure and joy, and uh, kind of led me down a different path. Um, but I think the real sort of you know, that first point is just, you know, really, really understand why you're doing something. And that will give you fuel in the gloom, which is why am I doing this? Why am I out here? What's that all about? Um, I think the second, you know, kind of point is, and, and this is something that I've had to relearn over and over and over again, and I still fall short of it, is uh, I am my own worst critic. You know, I'm I'm never... I'm never fast enough. I'm never fit enough. I'm never, you know, um, I had a beer, you know, one night before a race and, and it's just like, okay, you know, just, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you can't be too hard on yourself when it comes to this stuff too, because um, you, by getting up and posting, you are already better than 99.999% of the people in this country, right? By just getting up and doing it, even if you're not the fittest guy out there even if you're not the most aggro guy out there um and this sort of builds on that first point which is why are you you know why are you doing this um so you know um you know you got to really you got to really be thoughtful about that part because it's easy to get down when you don't have the performance results that you're you know expecting so there's that and then i think the third point and and i don't and, and this i don't mean this in a uh, tongue-in-cheek way i mean it very seriously which is if you're not having fun don't do it um i i quit racing at one point in my life because um it wasn't fun anymore um i stopped enjoying it i hated it i hated everything about it i hated you know just i just just couldn't do it anymore and I kept trying to do better and it just frustrated me. And it's like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not, I have lost the ability to enjoy this for right now. So I'm going to stop because at the end of the day, you know, if you're not, if you're not dry, and, and by the way, you know, for me, that's a, that's a weird statement because I derive a lot of pleasure out of suffering for hours and hours on a mountain bike. Um, but if you're not enjoying it and if you don't finish feeling like, man, I did something awesome and I feel great about it and nobody's ever going to know about it, but me, then don't do it. So that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Great tips, man. And, and, and well said and absolutely um, pivotal for people that just want to be successful and not only getting started with the hunt for wellness, but that journey of what hunt for, you know, which is what it is. I mean, it's a journey throughout life to, to achieve health goals. And so staying consistent requires all those things. So well done. So I do have one final question for you sideways, but before I ask it, uh, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you again. I want to acknowledge you for coming on the show and sharing your expertise and and just opening up about your own journal or journey rather, and uh, you know, really great information. So once again, I really appreciate you for doing that. If a man resonated or a guest or a listener rather resonated with uh, what you had to say today, um, what are some best ways that they can reach out to you uh, if they wanted to do so? 
I mean, I would say the easiest way um, is just on Slack. Like I'm on, I'm on all the Metro, I'm on Metro, the Metro channel. So, so just, you can, you know, can DM me there. Um, you know, that's probably the fastest way to do it because I'm on it all day long. Uh, I'm kind of addicted to it right now. So, Are so. you on the nation Slack channel too, or just metros? Just metros. So maybe you can maybe you can turn me on to nations, but no. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, so I, there's a whole nother world for you out there, man. We need well, to get you on the nation Slack channel. Well, I mean, so a couple things. Like I did post in Austin, Texas, uh, with the with their downtown group uh, when I was traveling out there for work, and I got to say that was a, that was also a great. You know, that shows you what you're a part of because. You know, I posted there. I mean, I let them know I was coming, you know, I, I um, uh, but uh, they just welcomed me with, you know, open arms. And, you know, I, I did their morning workout with those guys and it was consistent and awesome. And, you know, just a good, just a good feeling. Um, so, yeah, I would just say DM me on Slack on, on Metro and then I'll get on Nations. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll, and, we'll, and, we'll get that out. Because not everybody obviously is on Metro Slack. A lot of right. guys across the country kind of all get on the nation slack because it's just universal across the nation. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll figure out how to get you on there. I'll send you an invite and you can, you can join and then uh, guys can reach out to you through, through that uh, app as well. Right so my and last question, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to make sure I get some time for some shout outs at the end. That's all. I got to do that. Yeah, we'll go, go for it. Now, now is your time to do it. Give, right give your shout outs. And then I'll ask my last question. Yeah. 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 So first and foremost, uh, uh, thank you uh, to Chelms uh, and the men of Kingswood. Um, super grateful uh, for you guys. And um, a thank you to Forge out there for just being Forge because Forge is an awesome dude. And, um, you know, um, and just thank you to, to this community and to the fellowship this community has brought to me. It's, um, uh, I'll, I'll say, unprecedented, and that is not a hyperbole. It's a, it's a fact. So, all right, man, last question. Go for it. No, yeah, amen to that, man. Uh, all good guys that you named. And I, I echo your sentiment about F3's community uh, and just the quality of guys that we have all across the nation. It's, it's fantastic. So my last question is this sideways. What is your definition of wellness? Wow. Oh, that's a deep one. All right. Um, uh, my definition of wellness i think I, i'm my most well um when i am at my most i guess grateful in my mind um i think wellness is is in many ways a state of mind and it's a relative statement you know there can be no comparison between one man's wellness and another man's wellness um you know <clears throat> and you know, no matter what we do, we are all at, you know, sort of different levels of quote unquote wellness. Um, but it's about being in a state of, you know, content, contentness, is that a word? Um, but also um, gratitude for, you know, what I have right now. Um, I know that I, I know that my fittest days are behind me. I know that my racing days are behind me. Um, but I also feel, you know, I think more well now than in many ways than ever before. Um, and I think it just draws from my experiences, you know, here in Charlotte, but also my experiences with the F3 community. Um, and also, you know, my continual search to, 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 to push myself, um, 
you know, as hard as I can, you know, you, you have to push yourself beyond the mark to find the mark. So I'm, I'm, continue, I'm still looking for that mark in the F3 world. Um, and I'm, I'm getting better, but it's, it's, you know, it's just being at, at peace with myself that, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can do. And I'm grateful that I can do it, that I have the mobility and, you know, um, you know, I guess what's left of my years to be able to do this kind of stuff. Thanks for listening to the Hunt for Wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation's Slack at bones, or Twitter at HFWpodcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness.